What's up, everyone? Welcome back to If Plants Could Talk. This is Garrett. I'm your host. This conversation took place on October 23rd, 2022, with my very special guest, Daniel Cleland. Daniel is the CEO of Soltara Healing Center. They offer ayahuasca retreats down in Costa Rica and Peru, with the most prominent facility being in Costa Rica, I believe. He was here promoting his new book, 12 Laws of the Jungle, How to Become a Lethal Entrepreneur, which releases on 1025, just a couple of days from now. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. He was a fantastic speaker and guest, full of wisdom and knowledge, and really told an inspiring story of coming from practically nothing at one point and really hitting a, a low rock bottom in life to completely turning around his life and operating multiple healing centers and becoming a truly successful entrepreneur. He's also in a heavy metal band called Savage Existence. He told me that it's not a band, it's a lifestyle, bro. <laughs> but So if you want to check out his band, I will make sure to plug a link to all of his stuff, his Instagram, his websites in the description of this episode. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you guys do too. I want to take a moment to tell you guys about my sponsors. If you scroll down into the description of this episode, you will find links to Mezcala Nursery located in Long Beach, California, Green Touch Nursery located in Bellflower, California. Big shout out to Plantly.io. You can type in Plantly.io into your web browser or download the free Plantly app on Android or iOS. And if you are interested in becoming a vendor, I have provided a link for you to do so down there in the description. Scroll down, click on the link. If you are interested in supplementing mushrooms, Real Mushrooms offers extracts in both powder and capsule form. There is a link in the description of this episode. If you use my link or type in If Plants Could Talk at checkout, you will get 10% off your first order and all future orders. If you want to learn more about these mushroom supplements and all their fantastic health benefits, there are articles in the description of this episode you can click on, or you can go back to my episode with Jeff Shilton. He's the founder of that company. And he outlines in great detail all the great things that these mushrooms bring. All right, here is Daniel. Daniel Cleland, welcome to A Plants Could Talk. Thank you, Garrett. Appreciate you inviting me on your show. It's nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I've been doing some research and looking into your work and I feel honored for you to be here. It's an absolute pleasure, man. And uh, we have a lot of alignments in our path. And I was just actually listening right before we started to your episode. You, I can't remember the exact title, but you did a two-part solo cast uh, about your personal story and what brought you. And what, I like how you cut it into pre-ayahuasca and post-ayahuasca. Uh, love that. I only got through, say, 75% of part one, but there are so many alignments in in our stories. Like in, I'm, I'm 32, so you got some years on me, but uh, bullying in, in high school and, and I had some problems with, I never heard you say addiction, but I, I heard you talk about drugs and uh, I had some problems with substance abuse, and uh, some serious problems with that and plants and plant medicine has been a huge part of, of healing for me. So uh, I know you have a, a few healing centers offering ayahuasca retreats, correct? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we have um, we have one primary location in Costa Rica in uh, Playa Blanca, Punta Arenas, and um, that's uh, that's the one we you know started in. Uh, we opened in 2018, and we we run that full time. We you know we own the land. Nice. Um, and then we uh, have a couple of uh, joint ventures that we're doing. Another one in, in uh, Costa Rica that's that's a little further north on the Pacific coast. Okay. Um, and uh, we have also one down in uh, Peru in the Amazon jungle, um, which is pretty much full-time, full-time Soltara. <clears throat> one of our facilitators um, uh, purchased the land down there and, and we are basically have just an exclusive contract for um, for running Soltara retreats on their uh, property. And then we're also, uh, we bought another property on the Pacific coast here in Costa Rica um, in a, a up and coming beach town called Playa Coyote. 
And that will eventually, once that's developed, will replace the secondary location that we have here in Costa Rica. So we'll have two full-time locations in Costa Rica. That's yeah. wonderful. And is it uh, purely ayahuasca retreats? Are there any other medicines that they're yeah. providing as well? Yeah, for now. Um, you know, we uh, when we were working in the Amazon, uh, before coming to Costa Rica, I lived in the Amazon, had a center down there. And um, we would, we would practice with i mean if you're in this if you're in like iquitos you know there's there's a lot of different medicines down there that are like in the zone you know you've got your your combo yeah. uh you've got uh you know vilka there's uh um, there's just different you know there's 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 wachuma and stuff like that down in peru there's tobacco there's all these different plants that you can do dietas with so it's a little bit easier to mix medicines when you're down there which is you know what we used to do but when we were developing soltara and we started talking to our advisors um they discouraged us from mixing and mashing medicines and that you know like we should just basically allow the shipibo healers to uh to kind of determine Right. what we do and and many of them you know some of them are into uh you know some of them are fine with with like people doing ayahuasca san pedro retreats you know and, and that's fairly common like i don't i don't i don't disagree with that um uh but we chose to just go with ayahuasca and that's that's what we're doing for now however as time goes on you never know um you know we we could be we could be open to doing different things. I know a lot of people are, uh, are interested in San Pedro. Yeah. We do have some experience with that and we have a lot of connections to Wachumeros and, and, and people in the, in the field. Um, and then also a lot of people are, are interested in doing uh, the, the Bufo, the, the Sonoran desert toad as well. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see what goes We're we're, we're looking at potentially a place in Colombia as well um so you know that might be an opportunity to branch out a little bit in a place where like all the medicines are legal and 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 stuff like that so i would imagine you're limiting some risk by by just like having us all focus and really like honing that too right yeah well i mean there's that yes um you know we are limiting some risk uh that's not the primary objective though. And, and I don't know if it's limiting risk or not. I mean, ayahuasca still carries plenty of, of risk to be serving ayahuasca in a location, you know, because you really have to take care of people, make sure they don't hurt themselves or, or, um, you know, have, have experiences that, that, uh, <clears throat> don't serve them. Um, and, you know, so we, we have to, our, our risk limitation process is more on the intake process of really making uh, making clear kind of what our uh, contraindications are at the beginning of the process. We have a conversation with every single person before they come. Uh, we have a person who does that full time. Um, so, you know, people have a really clear understanding and some people just shouldn't be drinking ayahuasca. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the, the, the the choice to only do one medicine um yeah was it that choice was not made uh based on risk limitation but rather just staying true to the shipibo tradition yeah. uh if we're going to be working with the shipibo we want to make sure that you know we're really uh honing in on their message and their medicine and their way of doing things mm-hmm. um at least for the time being no i appreciate that because i looked closely into your website and was like just exploring the um retreats that you offer and i saw there's like multiple day options what is it five nine and twelve something like that yeah we have we have different options um per retreat center so like uh in our costa rican centers we do five very few five day retreats and uh seven day retreats and maybe even very few 12 day retreats Largely, the most popular is the seven-day retreat. Okay. Um, when we <clears throat> when we op- we just opened this Peru location in I think um, May of this year, mm-hmm. so it's fairly new. And uh, the facilitator Vlad, who uh, 
who went there and, and built that place up and, and, and developed. It was actually an operational center called La Medicina before, uh, before Vlad and his uh, partners uh, purchased it. Um, but uh, so it was already built. There were some spruce ups that we needed to make, but, but Vlad really kind of suggested the programming and uh and he suggested down there that we would maybe focus on more long-term retreats so like nine day 13 day stuff like that however what we found is people just really want a seven day retreat so you know like we're probably going to scale back on some of those longer ones too because they don't fill up yeah yeah well while i was looking at my original point that i forgot to mention was i i what you said with uh honoring uh, i don't want to mispronounce it shapipo uh, yeah, tradition. People, yeah, right. yeah. A lot of places in comparison that I've looked at before have um, perhaps a self-proclaimed healer that you know that trained down there and opened their own space. And I appreciate that you're actually utilizing like true tradition and, and honoring that culture without necessarily appropriating because it's still you're facilitating for that culture to continue. And uh, yeah. And I, I <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's always turned my stomach a little bit. Um, and the people that are the people that are really connected to this work, for example, you know, we have we have several facilitators that have put years of training, years of dieting, years of living in the jungle, years of really learning not only who the shit people are and how they serve medicine, but learning part of their language you know, learning how to sing Icaros in their language. Um, And even those people, like when they're really dialed in, are still so humble that they won't like open a center and then, and then try to replicate what the people are doing. They want their maestros to be doing the, the bulk of the work. That being said, you know, they'll host small retreats every now and then, um, in a respectful way and um and uh you know when when like when we have ceremonies at soltara at times they will sing ikaros in the maloka and they will help in the in the ceremony itself uh with people who are perhaps struggling with a very strong experience um so so yeah i mean you can you you can follow the path and become a healer it, but it's it's a longer path than a lot of people may think, and and you know it's it's just kind of always turn my stomach when when um, you know people do a, a few ceremonies and then and then go out um, claiming to be a healer and uh, or a shaman, you know, without doing the proper training. Like if you if you really want to get that credential, there's so much that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Um, which very few people are willing to do. I would imagine that. Yeah. And there's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. And I've heard a lot of horror stories of people traveling to do this, you know, trying to save money or something like that. Less and, and less. Ending up, less and less. Is it becoming less? It's, it's getting safer, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. awareness is growing. Also, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the kind of gnarly practitioners have been called out, have That's been, great. you know, outed of, it, it, it was a lot more wild west, you know, five, 10 years ago. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and I'm sure some things still happen, but you know, the conversations are being had about sexual uh, impropriety or sexual abuse in, uh, in ceremonial settings by shamans, you know, people now understand that like, it's not correct that, you know, a woman from us, goes down to Peru and then becomes an apprentice with a Peruvian shaman and then starts (laughs) sleeping with him, you know, even if she's attracted to him, like there's, that's inappropriate for that male shaman because there's a power imbalance there. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's potential kind of brujeria, like witchcrafty kind of things that can happen or some type of, uh, uh, like manipulation of the circumstances. And then anywhere that has any type of, dangerous practices uh in place uh they get called out fairly quickly or any any type of place that has uh you know uh sexual 
abuse problems or mm. uh you know anything like that like you it just you don't last too long in this uh in this field of work uh if you don't operate with uh with ethical standards and, you know i can actually think of a couple places that have suffered gr- greatly as of late due to due to um um questionable ethics and practices i mean there's there's a uh vice article about one place that came out where it's like you know people coming together to try to uh to try to um you know make public uh th- their concerns and you know vice it's ayahuasca is a hot topic so vice helped them out and there's this big article that recently came out you know another place where um it, it's not even just it's not even the public it's the it's the rumors that go around sure that uh you know like in the medicine community where especially with people who work in the medicine space because it's a very small community mm-hmm. and if you know if, if if you have a place where there's weird dynamics or there's like weird uh hierarchies or there's uh you know Dis, dishonesty or, or anything like that um people just don't want to work there and they have all the choices in the world because this is this is such a you know strong field of work right now it's so much demand um so you know those places end up suffering because the word just gets around and then they're forced to correct course or else they'll go under yeah great now you've had a number of celebrities uh come to your facility right and i've, I've seen all kinds of press releases i was looking at last night i think i saw uh megan fox and machine gun kelly did a retreat together there i know aubrey marcus has gone i'm a big follower of him yeah um we've had a few big names in the in the past um megan kelly machine gun kelly of course there's meg megan fox machine gun kelly Mm -hmm. um yes aubrey's been here a few times um the last time he was here, uh, he brought uh, Aaron Rodgers and uh, wow. Jake Paul. So, Aaron, I mean, Aaron Rodgers um, was pretty big on the news about that. Um, uh, Jake Paul was a little more discreet. He still made it public. So I'm not like outing him for doing ayahuasca or something like that. But uh, yeah, it was funny. He actually, uh, he was tra- he was training hard the whole time. You know who Jake Paul is? The I'm boxer. Not... Okay. YouTuber, okay. boxer. Uh, he fought Floyd Mayweather. Uh, he uh, <clears throat> might end up fighting like uh, Conor McGregor or uh, Andrew Tate, but Sweet. he was like, he was kind of, I think he had, he's promoting fights and he was promoting a fight like the day we started the retreat. So he flew down in a private jet the day after. And um, he was, you know, he was there for the whole week. But he was training hard the whole time. So I have a gym at Sultara. And um, he was like, he actually trained so hard that he punched the punching bag right off the, like, right off the, (laughs) ripped ripped the the straps right off the punching bag, just going nuts on it. So he he trained the whole time because he has, you know, he's a fighter and he had to stay in shape and stuff. Um, And he brought his his girlfriend, Julia, down. Uh, We've had, uh, we've had, you know, other influential people that are in the medicine space, um, you know, Dorian Yates, Dennis McKenna, Brian Rose have all come down. A lot of people who are more in the academic realm that yeah. probably, you know, like, like don't have as much public exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so a little by little, we're not trying to make ourselves like the place for celebrities, Sure. you know, but, but also we're, we try to be accommodating and, um, and uh you know work in a in a kind of uh uh chill and discreet manner and um you know like if 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 those if those other guys hadn't already mentioned in public that they that they'd been to drink ayahuasca with us then i wouldn't have said anything but um but they have so um um but yeah i mean if we get like a request like for example um machine gun kelly and megan fox their agent reached out to us they booked them in for a retreat 
we were not like fanning out when they were here, you know, like <laughs> I, I, change anything. I went, I went in just for one day just to say hello, uh, shake their hand. I, you know, shook, shook machine gun Kelly's hand just said hello. Um, and then, uh, uh, Megan Fox was being facilitated at the time, but I, uh, but I, I, um, got to at least see her there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, like they, they felt totally chill here and, um, and, you know, they were just in a regular group. Like they didn't ask for a private retreat or anything. They were just in a regular group, just a couple normal people. And, uh, they were treated just like anyone else. And, and then they flew straight from straight from Soltara to LA. So, MGK could collect the Billboard number one rock album chart wow. <laughs> and do a big speed. <laughs> um, it was either LA or New York, I can't remember. But he, yeah, he won best rock album. He just flew straight from our place to that to go collect right. that album. And then you know they were on like late night TV talking about it and Howard Stern and stuff That's like incredible, that. Incredible man. Yeah. Well, it really speaks to the quality of care that you must be providing. You know, for those type of people, especially to speak about it openly and. Uh... There's such a demand for it, like you were saying. I would imagine, like since uh, Michael Pollan has been talking about it, and since it's become such a trending hot topic, it's like uh, really like spiraling and, and growing. Uh, and it's a topic really near to, and dear to my heart. I participated in Rick Doblin's MDMA study. I was in a PTSD study, and it, it saved my life. It really changed my life. And uh, ketamine therapy has also really helped. And I would love to come down. And and the price point is you, you're not pricing out regular people either. Uh, when I was looking at the retreats, and uh, I love that, so I'm hoping you know more and more people will be inspired to hear about that. And I would love to circle back to like you and a little bit about your background, and and then kind of transition into this book too. Now you're you're kind of an obscure uh, type of person that's in in this world, coming from like you're you're in a hard metal band, right? Like a heavy metal band, right? Yeah, and. <laughs> And you're, you just got back from tour with Sepultura. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. You don't, I imagine you don't see a whole lot of heavy metal heads like in the ayahuasca community. A few, a few. Yeah. Um, Sets you apart. <clears throat> but, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's been an interesting journey for sure. Like, you know, I, I got into ayahuasca in, in 2010 was when I had my first ceremony. Okay. Um, so I've kind of like, I've kind of had this arc of, of experience with the medicine, right? Um, I mean, I got into the medicine. First off, I've been a heavy metal uh, enthusiast since high school, right? Like, like my drummer in my band right now, who also is the chef at Sultara, wow. uh, he's my best buddy since like kindergarten. We grew up together. We were next door neighbors in Canada, right? And like, we had a jam room in his parents' basement and a couple of other buddies like we used to we used to play in a metal band in high school we loved it um and even uh, even after high school and college me and uh my buddy jesse uh, lived together in uh in london ontario and uh we you know we had another jam room in the basement there and we used to like write songs and, and and play music and we loved it but then life got in the way uh you know like like we were early 20s and we had to build careers and stuff like that so you know, I went my way and he went his way and, um, and throughout that kind of career building process, I, I suffered a bunch of setbacks. Um, you know, I, I, I was, uh, very, um, I was not very successful at some things. I was pretty irresponsible, pretty immature, uh, had, had some psychological problems. Like you said, so some, some issues with addictions, uh, or with overconsumption, um, and uh, and that kind of that that all kind of culminated into a really dark point uh, in my life when I was uh, turning turning thirty years old, and uh, I'd made a lot of mistakes, and uh, uh, that manifested into a physical consequence one night when I was uh, uh, living in Australia, working like some shitty door to door sales job and um and uh got drunk one night and climbed a cliff and fell off and uh dramatically injured my body broke my my femur and my pelvis and uh, ended up spending 40 days in the hospital there 
Um, and that was kind of like the low point in my life that spurred me to drink ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2010. Um, and, and so the reason, like, I didn't get into ayahuasca because I wanted to be like a spiritual healer. Mm -hmm. I got into ayahuasca because I needed psychological help to mm -hmm. fix the problems in my life. Right. And so I got into ayahuasca and it dramatically helped me fix the problems in my life. It dramatically helped my psychology. And um, fortunately, I was I had the skill set because I had spent some time working in tourism in South America. I had the skill set to to guide people into uh, uh, South America to drink ayahuasca. I wasn't serving it. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't serving it, but I was subsidizing my own work with it by bringing small groups of people. I used to be a tour leader in South America, so I knew the I knew the territory. I knew the job. Sure. Um, and so for a couple of years, I, I, I subsidized my own uh, work with medicine when I was in the process of building myself up and building my life back together and stuff. And I was subsidizing that by taking small groups of people into the Amazon to work with different healers. Um, and, you know, part of building myself up was that I, I, I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I wanted to be more self-sustaining. I wanted to be more independent. Um, I, I was excited by the prospect of entrepreneurship and the more I got into it, the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to do it. And um, <clears throat> I was also just, I, I was never happy in any other job that I ever had. I just, I, I was always trying to find happiness by finding the perfect job, but I could never find it. And, you know, like I, I would last like a year in any given job and then I'd be gone trying to find something else and it was just not there. So I decided to create my happiness instead. Um, ayahuasca helped me do that not only with helping to strengthen my mind and helping to get clear visions but also it became the service that I provided mm -hmm. um, so you know then in, in 2014 I um, that the, the business was doing well with the small group tours and uh, and then I, I you know was down in Peru and we were getting busier and I needed some infrastructure so I went out to a village in the middle of the Amazon and 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 had a like village meeting and spoke to them in Spanish and cut a deal with, uh, with the village. And they, they let me like basically lease a plot of land uh, on the riverfront to build a center. And the deal was, okay, we'll lease you this land for free, but you know, you build a place, you bring people and you give us jobs. Wow. And um, so that's what I did in 2014. That place is still operational today, albeit under a different brand because I sold it in, uh, in 2017 to come up to Costa Rica. Mm. Um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, so then I, I, I built that place in 2014, spent a few years living in Peru and the Amazon working down there, being amongst nature and, uh, and all the other kind of chaos that happens down there when it was the Wild West Territory, a little bit dangerous, to be honest, and a little bit sketchy. Sure. <clears throat> but um, but that's really where I, I, I earned my chops. And then, uh, you know, working with the Shipibo on, all the time, um, really learning a, a Spanish to a, a, a super proficient degree. And then I, I uh, sold that and, and moved up to Costa Rica. I was able to, because that was a successful operation, I was able to raise a lot of money uh, to develop this, you know, like I had like 15 investors for this project in Soltara here in Costa Rica, had to raise like millions of dollars because wow. um, it's expensive here, the beachfront properties and everything like that, the construction, a lot of more permitting and taxes and stuff like that. So, um, so then I, I built Soltara here. And, uh, you know, that, that was four years ago, um, more than four years ago, almost five years ago. And, uh, you know, that's become very successful and I've managed to really build, a build a really, uh, desirable life for myself here in Costa Rica. Um, here's the view. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, so I've got, you know, I've got my little jam room right here, with my guitar and stuff. Wow. Yeah, quick practice guitar. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've developed over the years, over the last 12 years, um, my journey with ayahuasca has really um, 
you know, resulted in a life that I'm very happy with and very, and very comfortable in. And, you know, we're, we're still going, but at a more comfortable pace now, you know, we're still growing, but it's not like so life or death, like it was in the beginning. Um, You know, I have low stress right now. I have a great girlfriend. Uh, I have great friendships. The business is doing great. Everybody in the company is happy. Everybody in the company is growing and being challenged and doing what they love. Everybody's in the right lane. You know, um, I just, I just bought my first house at 40 years old uh, here in Costa Rica. And, um, you know, I've got a beautiful dog and I'm in a rock band that's touring the world playing shows with some of the bands I listened to in high school. Right. You know, so it's like that same motivation to drink ayahuasca doesn't exist anymore. You know, and, and, and like I said, um, you know, I didn't get into it to become like some kind of a spiritual healer, but like, it's like ayahuasca worked for me, you know, it was with me this whole time, um, keeping my head in the game, keeping me strong, keeping me responsible, keeping me diligent, keeping the vision clear. Um, you know, and so, so I just, I don't drink a ton of medicine anymore. Yeah. You don't have to. Don't have to. Yeah. But I mean, I think that speaks for the, for the actual medicine itself. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and when you were seeking that medicine, did it help you? What did it help you with? Did it help you deepen your connection with yourself? Did it help you deepen your connection with the spirit, with, with earth and maybe like some of the messages that became more clear and also how did you integrate them in and actually start applying them so that it, it didn't just be a profound experience with no follow-up, you know? Yeah. Good questions. Um, so in my very first ceremony, like, uh, one of my primary issues was just toxic thinking. Mm-hmm. Like I was having real problems with really negative thoughts, like mm-hmm. every single day. It was like I had, it was like, um, I had these, uh, balls of garbage floating around in my head. And, uh, and, um, they were contaminating my thoughts, which, you know, you are what you think. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that was manifesting in my life in troublesome ways, a lot of like self-sabotage, like low self-worth, self-hatred, self-loathing, self-contempt, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a lot of regret for, um, perceived mistakes I had made in the past, you know, like I wasn't in the place, I wasn't in the position I wanted to be in. So I blame myself for mistakes I'd made in the past. And I didn't know at that time that that was just preparing me for a better future. Like I was the journey I walked gave me very unique experience that allowed me to create this amazing life that I have right now. Right. But in the past, I was extremely regretful of of uh of of decisions i had taken that led me down a path that didn't put me like when you're 30 years old and there's you're just a like there's a measuring stick like between you and all the people that you grew up with and some people you know they they finished high school they tried really hard in high school they didn't go to parties and then they went to a good university and they worked really hard and they didn't go to parties and they got a good job and they're making 80 grand a year, hundred grand a year. When they get out of university, by the time they're 30, they have a house, they're married, they got two kids, they got a nice car. And then, you know, then you, like, I was looking at myself like, okay, I did the opposite of all those things. And I'm turning 30. I have no money. I have no education. I have no career. I have no girlfriend, no wife, no car. Uh, no credit, like, like it was just a fucking loser. Um, but what I got instead of those things was a ton of experience, which I was then able to apply to building a business that required a very specific set of skills um, that, uh, that very few people have. Right. So anyways, um, I didn't know that back then though. And, and so the very first ayahuasca ceremony uh it it was like a huge exercise in self-forgiveness. It was like, like I actually saw, I actually saw like myself, like I was looking from out in, mm-hmm. from outside in, like I, like I could see myself 
um, from a from a, a, a third person perspective. And um, I just felt this like sense of love and forgiveness. And I could see all my flaws, all the things that I hated about myself, like obviously right there. And I just felt like this sense of love and forgiveness and like, like, you're not a bad guy. Like, don't be so hard on yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really, it, it, it was like a hard left turn. And, um, and in that sense, you know, all the self-sabotage, the, the, the things like, even though I wanted something, I wouldn't let myself have it. That began to dissipate very quickly. Um, I also felt like a lot of love. I also experienced like the, the deepest sense of profundity I'd ever experienced. Um, it, I also experienced a deep level of agony. Just the intensity of the experience was so strong yeah. uh, and so humbling. Like uh, I, I, I vomited all over myself and all over like the, the floor on the inside of the, the ceremony space because I was just so inebriated. I couldn't even see to get my bucket, my purge bucket, ended up vomiting, like hands and knees in a puddle of vomit and mucus, like the most humbling experience. Um, And it just completely woke me up and it shook me. It was like, wow. Um, It was just like this massive stress test and gave me so much clarity. Um, And then, you know, I kind of walked away from it thinking like, if I can go, go through that, I can do anything. And then it was like, and then at the same time, I just became so enthralled with ayahuasca. Like the the power of the medicine was just so glaringly obvious to me that I just wanted to do more of it. Like I just wanted to keep walking that path. Um, So, you know, it kind of gave me a direction in a way, like it healed, it healed some of the psychological things I was carrying around that were contaminating my life. And then it also uh, gave me a direction to, to walk. And I, you know, I started talking about it publicly. I started blogging for the first time, you know, it scared the shit out of a lot of people because in 2010, ayahuasca was not on Netflix. Right. You know, it was like, it was like this crazy thing in the jungle that makes you vomit and, you know, freak out and have psychedelic vision. So, you know, my family, my immediate family were like, bro, what are you doing? This is scary. I'm worried about you. (laughs) And I was, I was just indiscriminately posting, sending like descriptions out to my email lists and like, and people were like, well, this guy's going crazy down in the jungle. Yeah. yeah, Right. Um, and, um, so, but then it, it opened so much up for me because then, you know, six months later I was down in Peru for a month doing a dieta and blogging about it. You know, I got, I got a volunteer position to go down and blog about it. Um, and so I started writing and started figuring out how to make blogs on the internet, um, which then led to six months after that, going down to Brazil to live in Manaus to, uh, to uh, teach English and then work with the Santo Diamond and Unialdo Vegetal in, uh, in Brazil. Right. And, and I was blogging about that. And like, I read Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week so then I started a website and then I you know started slowly piece by piece building my my ideas and you know I started coming up with business plans and stuff like that that didn't quite work out so well but um you know it, it just got me on this path and uh and um and that just ended up with me you know starting my own tour company the next year like six months after the Brazil trip Uh, and you know, and, and I, I started with friends and family leading trips, um, building my business bit by bit, managing my own website and WordPress and, you know, writing blogs and emails and, you know, figured out how to use payment processors and, uh, figured out how to set up a company and all this kind of stuff. And it was just bit by bit. And ayahuasca was a service that, that allowed me to just go from, nobody to a one-man show to a two-person show to a four-person show to a 40-person show um and uh you know really evolve and grow as an entrepreneur to where i am now where i have other people who do all that stuff mm-hmm. and all i really have to do is make decisions and 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 pay attention to all the indicators everywhere to make sure the company's going in a positive direction 
Yeah. But you know, I'm not, I'm not dealing with payment processor issues. Uh, you know, I'm not leading tours anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just basically the chairman of an organization that's uh, doing very well and, and has, you know, dozens of employees. That's wonderful, man. And it sounds like you said it gave you direction, but ultimately it's up to the individual, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but to like follow that path and to put in all that work. Absolutely. Because it could have given you that, could have opened that door for you, right. but it was up to you to actually make that decision and continue to face resistance. Cause I heard you saying, uh, people were criticizing you and thinking you're going crazy. Uh, and I faced a little bit of that myself actually, and uh, ended up making my page private because of it, because I'm just blant- yelling at the top of the mountain. MDMA therapy is going to save adolescents lives. We should be giving it to adolescents to prevent suicides, you know, those kinds of things. And um, did you know at the time that it would be such a profound, like evangelistic service to others, or were you just like merely expressing yourself when you wrote these blogs could you have ever imagined that it was going to, I was 100% convinced I was 100% sold. Um, every single time I had an experience was like, wow. And I was so convinced. I mean, at at the beginning I was evangelizing the medicine, like, you know, everybody needs to do this kind of thing. I don't believe that anymore. Right. Uh, And I don't try to push it on people anymore, but I was in the very beginning because I was so convinced, like I was so, so, so into it. Um, and, uh, um, and I also knew, like, I intuited that this thing was about to blow up as well. Like, I mean, it was just so functional and so powerful and so necessary for me. And it helped me so much. And I just knew there were so many people that it could help around the world. Um, And it was just, you know, that door was just beginning to open. So I just, I knew it was going to blow up. And I, and I, and I sensed, even though the people around me um, were like, oh, this, you're never going to make any money doing this. You know, this is crazy. What are you thinking? You can't do this. This is nothing. But they hadn't, they hadn't experienced the ayahuasca, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't know how good it was. And that just the only reason everybody's not doing it is because everybody doesn't know what it is yeah access and so so yeah i had to face some resistance there and then of course um you know my my dad is uh is an important guy in my life you know he's my business partner now right we work together regularly but in the beginning he was he was very he he, you know he'd always been against you know me smoking weed like he just he's very anti-drugs very ronald reagan era you know, 1970s culture wars, and he was on the jock side, you know, and, um, and all of his friends, very conservative as well, you know, they drink some beers and have a good time and go play golf or whatever, and joke around and swear and everything, but none of the guys are doing drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there was a certain element of like, shame, I think he felt as well in front of all of his peers, who I was also sharing my stories with. Yeah. Um, and he was like, they're, they're like, Charlie, what is your, what is your son doing down there? It's a little <laughs> scary. And my dad would be like, Oh, I don't know what he's doing. It's, I, I don't know. I, I don't control him, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then over time, the proof just came out um, in, from multiple outlets, you know, my life, like they, they all saw how much my life changed over the yeah. years. They watched me. They watched me become a completely different person. Yeah. Right. So uh, in, in a good way. Yeah. And so, so they were intrigued by that. And then also, you know, bit by bit, more uh, media began to come out as well, you know, in respectable news outlets, David yeah. Suzuki talked about it. Uh, you know, there was a, you know, Vice News or whatever, these different outlets that, that perhaps your Toronto star, uh, different outlets that these guys would would have been paying attention to or would have at least respected enough to take a serious look um began to uh to emerge and then uh you know and then i just i kept my nose to the grindstone and uh and the business uh started to show results and you know then i became a self-sustaining entrepreneur in 2013 like 2013 was the last time i ever worked for anybody else so that's almost you know, that's like, that's 
almost 10 years of full-time self-sustaining entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the efficacy and the results just became undeniable. Right. And then uh, to your other point, um, I think you, you were kind of alluding to integration there, like, like, and that's very important to acknowledge that, you know, when you, when you have these profound uh, medicine experiences, you, um, you know, you, you take steps in real life to walk the path. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's a, a trap that some people can fall in mm-hmm. is uh, going and having the profound experience, but then not done. putting as much effort into implementation and integration and then it's like well in six months i need another experience six months i need another experience there's a certain element of walking the path and of 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 diving into the journey but um you know you you really also want to be putting the lessons and the and the insights and the uh and the the benefits into action in real life too Mm. Yeah, I'd like to transition into your book, but I, I have a question just out of curiosity. Uh, how did you sustain motivation during that time? Are you the type of person that uh, when I'm the type of person that when people when there's naysayers or negativity? Oh, yeah. Or, or hatred, I feed off of it. And it oh, motivates bro, me to double you have no down. idea. Yeah, I that's that. some <laughs> of the best motivation. I mean, <clears throat> like just the, the motivation to prove people wrong or to prove yourself right mm-hmm. or to or or like, you know, I, I feel in the same way right now with, uh, with our band, right. Cause mm-hmm. get the same shit, starting a new thing. It's like, you know how hard it is, you know, people like, you know how hard it is to become a, like a, you know, yeah. a famous international act, right. You're never going to do it. You know, you're just wasting money or whatever. Like people don't pay attention or you only have so many followers right now or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you wait, I'll yeah. get there and you're going to eat your words, you know? So, <laughs> um, that's a that's a crazy motivator man i mean and i think like i mean bullying fat fat shaming and bullying made me learn how to get fit yeah and i got fit and i've been fit since Mm -hmm. um you know being judged based on my economic performance when i was turning 30 and my like achievements in life um motivated me to go and crush it right um, people doubting my choice to get involved with ayahuasca made me want to go and crush it. Mm-hmm. People doubting, uh, you know, that, that we can do anything serious with our band makes me want to go and crush it. So, you know, I think in society that's, it's highly underrated, the motivation that you get from being held to account. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, from, from, from people doubting and, and, and questioning you and uh, calling you out. And, um, you know, even, even a little, little bit of, uh, of uh, bullying can, can be, can be used in a way to actually improve people. um, If it's just treated in a different way. Uh, But, but trying to like remove all of that from society and just make everyone feel just perfect yeah. for just who they are and the way they are doesn't inspire as much change I think as as calling people out and and like and you know um being honest and and, and having a little of you know doubt um yeah you get it yeah all that adversity that you spoke to earlier in your story that uniquely qualified you to ultimately open this place that some of that is bullying and those other things, but also the financial struggle, all that, all that hardship really is what made you such a qualified person to be doing what you're doing. So I love that. And uh, I think it's really motivating. And that's the type of stories that I love to listen to are like the comebacks and uh, you know, the person that proves everybody wrong. So uh, tell, tell me a little bit. Of, I, I am sure your book has something to do with that. And it's interesting to me, too, that there's so many entrepreneurs that are finding power in this medicine, too, and other psychedelic experiences. And uh, I'm doing another episode with someone tomorrow uh, that's similar. Um, what's this book about? And what is it, what is it called? The book is called 12 Laws of the Jungle, How to Become a Lethal Entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And um, it really... 
it really distills the 12 principles of entrepreneurship that I've learned um, in the past 13 years of entrepreneurship. And, you know, I've, I've already told the story here of, of, of the evolution of that from a one man show to, you know, a, 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 the organization we're running now, which is, which is complex and successful. Um, and um, it was set in the context of the COVID pandemic. So what happened was, you know, like um, we built, we, I, we, I got to Costa Rica in 2017. We built Soltara uh, quickly under the gun, you know, just crazy startup pressure, low capitalization. So like bootstrapping everything, trying to like do a million things uh, at the same time. Um, uh, keeping people motivated for like, you know, less than they should be getting paid. And, um, and we opened in 2018 and, you know, for the first like year minimum, uh, you know, like every, just this, you know, it takes a while to build a brand and build a business and, you know, sales and expenses were not always, uh, on par. Um, so, you know, but, but finally we got to a place where like we had, we had made it. And this was in like, you know, early 2020, uh, had been open for about 18 months. You know, we were in the black, we were, uh, we were making payroll every month. We were getting a lot of like mainstream, uh, publicity and the, you know, influencers were coming down and it looked like we were good. Now we were going to make it right. Like we had, we had hit the plateau Mm -hmm. and then right away, boom, COVID comes government shut the borders whole world is closed down we've got a whole bunch of people asking for their money back i've got eight employees stranded in costa rica because they'd close the borders they wouldn't let anyone leave um and it's like holy shit what am i going to do now yeah so um this kind of tells the story of how i applied all of these 12 principles of entrepreneurship in the life or death context of you know the covid lockdowns and how we got out of the covid lockdowns and actually became much stronger on the other side um and i use it also i use a lot of because of my experience in the amazon jungle we kind of we kind of put this lens on it um that like you know everything has a has a reference to something in the jungle it's like uh you know 12 laws of the jungle it's kind of like you are guiding your tribe through a treacherous jungle to get to a certain destination. And that's kind of a metaphor for, you know, for how you have to run a business. You know, you're, you, have to, you have to maintain your rations, your budgeting. You have to be able to, to hunt and kill what you need to keep the village alive. Right. Um, you know, you have to keep your village motivated. Like um, you, you have to be frugal. Uh, you have to master your resources. You have to, you know, prepare for like snake bites and, and accidents and, and uh, potentially a winter kind of thing. So things pandemic, like that. Pandemic. <laughs> What's that? For, be pre- prepared for a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an adventurous book and um, it's got lots of, uh, of great uh, a cameo appearances by by um, different entrepreneurs that helped me get through the COVID pandemic with their content. It's got a forward written by Patrick Bet David of Valuetainment, um, one of the top uh, uh, entrepreneurial content producers in the world, uh, legendary entrepreneur. And um, yeah, I think it's I think it's helpful for anybody, whether you're you know into entrepreneurship whether you're getting started in entrepreneurship, whether you want to get started in entrepreneurship or just in general with your, with your uh, life path and your objectives and, um, and uh, just becoming more effective and, and more, uh, more successful in anything you do. I think it's, it's a highly valuable book. Wonderful. I love the metaphor to the, um, 
tribal structure. And I think that's something that actually really lacks in society today is like our ancestral roots. I noticed since post-pandemic, a lot of people are really turning back to that and uh, seeking that more ancient wisdom. So it sounds like you're actually applying that into your business venture and your life venture. That that's great. Now, if there, I want to ask you if, is there anything that you would tell someone that perhaps is like on the precipice of they've been, they're working this nine to five and they're miserable and they feel stagnant and um, you know, something that they're, they're, they find, they've found uh, an inspiration from hearing you or have been pondering this. Like what would you say to somebody that's ready to, to start a new venture or to take that risk, to take that leap? Good question. Uh, law one of the book is the jungle doesn't care. Mm. That's the first thing you need to understand before you venture out into the world of business. The jungle doesn't care. The subtitle is the market doesn't care if you live, the jungle doesn't care if you live or die, neither does the market. Mm. So, um, you know, I guess, depending on the type of business, I think one of the most important things that a, a, a prospective entrepreneur can do is really find a way to first put themselves to the test in something else, some kind of proxy. Like for me, it was, for me, it was, you know, the, the ayahuasca experiences that I, I would have these crazy intense ayahuasca experiences. And that was, that was helping to toughen my mind up because when you're in some of those experiences, it's like, it's so uncomfortable and painful and scary yeah. that you want it to end but it doesn't end like you have to just figure out a way to deal with that until the ayahuasca decides it's done kicking your ass. Right. Right. So it's, it's a mental, it's, it's a mental strengthening tool. And I've found that that has come in, that has, that has functionally happened uh, so many times in the startup phase of business when you know things are painful when you're afraid when you're stressed um, when things aren't going your way when you don't know what to do but you can't stop like you can't quit you can't walk away um you know you have to you have to stay the course and so you just have to learn how to deal with pain solve problems under pressure solve problems under pain um and i think that i call it the rite of passage in the book I think that, you know, the first thing a prospective entrepreneur should do is find something to really go put themselves to the test, to test their will, to test their pain tolerance, to test their commitment level, to get to an objective um, through like a, a gauntlet of challenges. Um, and if and if they get through that and they like that, if they like how they feel after doing that, then you can do business. Yeah, I hear that. So some level of comfortability in discomfort. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Become, become comfortable with discomfort. <laughs> I could, right. I could have summed it all up in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I think you found a, a more beautiful and poetic way to say it. Well, man, this has been incredible and really inspiring to me. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how your path continues to unfold. And I'm honored to, to be here with you and to uh, be promoting this new book of yours. Where, where will people be able to find it? everywhere um amazon of course is you know the easy way to, but it'll be it'll be in any it'll be in any uh, uh book distribution location on tuesday um and uh the audio book is also in the works so you know we have we have the, the the print and electronic copies coming out on tuesday so there's a hardcover there's a paperback and there is a um uh ebook kindle version and in about six weeks, I think five or six weeks, there will be a audiobook on Audible as well. Nice. I've got some credits on Audible, and now I have the manuscript. Uh, they sent your people sent me the manuscript, so I'll follow along on, and uh, I'm excited to to read it, man. And uh, right on. Thank you, Garrett. I appreciate the uh, the chance to speak with you today. Yeah, absolutely. I'll plug Saltara, your social media, and, and anything that I can find about you in the description. As there anything that you want to plug in particular? Um, I mean, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got Soltara, we've got the book, we've got the bands. Um, 
I mean, all that, uh, if people are interested in, in connecting, I think probably the primary hub for me right now is Instagram, okay. uh, Daniel C. Cleveland. Okay. And, uh, you know, then we have the link tree there that goes to everything else. So, right. um, yeah. What's Thank the name you very much. For listening. What's the name of the band? Savage Existence. Savage Existence. Yeah. Cool. All it's right. not a band. It's a lifestyle, bro. All right. I hear that. <laughs> cool. All right. Daniel Cleland, everyone. If everyone could please like, review, and subscribe to the podcast and hit that share button, we would both appreciate that greatly. Bye.